When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. Dr. Gaudiani runs the Gaudiani Clinic, which is an outpatient eating disordered and disordered eating clinic that treats adolescents and adults. And she is always teaching me something new about our cultural attitudes about food and health and our bodies. And what I love is that she brings in the science to back it up and kind of constantly is reminding me that disordered eating is, is we have sort of a a stereotypical idea in our mind of what that looks like, but that it's important to continue to educate ourselves about how wise our bodies are and all the cultural messages that, that were sent that sort of make us think that we need to um, question how wise our bodies are. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do and you want to share it with somebody, the way to do that is go to the bottom of the episode on your phone or wherever you're listening, and there's three little dots on the right-hand side. You click that, and then there will be a share button, and you can share it with your friends and spread the word. Thanks for listening. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us on The Family Brain today. Thank you for having me, Megan. It's a delight to be back. I know that you were one of our early episodes. And it's funny because looking back, I think I said something to you when you were on the beginning. I was like, well, I'm going to practice with you because I know you. Meanwhile, you have, you're such a wealth of information. I should have practiced on someone else. But um, I, you were very generous to help me at the beginning. You've been uh, amazing then. You're amazing now. Thank you. Um, so one of the reasons I really wanted to have you back is we're doing this episode on parenting teenagers, and I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of nurturing healthy body image with teens. And then in conjunction with all of this happening, there was this thing that came about with um, Weight Watchers creating an app for kids. And so then I saw you were in the mix with that. So I was like, this gives us so much to talk about. And I wonder if you could just remind people what you do in general, and then we can sort of move from there. Absolutely. I am an internal medicine physician who specializes in eating disorders. And for about eight years, I was a leader of the top 
medical stabilization hospital program in the country for adults with critical anorexia nervosa. And for the last three years, I've had my own outpatient clinic where we are telemedicine licensed in multiple states. And I see people of all ages, body shapes and sizes and genders, and really work on the medical aspects of their eating disorder in conjunction with their home dietitian and therapist to help remove blockades and help them move forward in recovery. Yes. And I want to put this out there. You are the real deal. Like I brag about you because no, but it's neat for me to see, like I've had people who have said, oh, my daughter went to this thing. She saved my daughter, like just randomly in my life. And so it's neat for me. So if you are struggling with an eating disorder in your family, call Jen because, or Dr. Gaudiani, excuse me, call Dr. Gaudiani because it's just neat. It's, I mean, it makes me proud to be able to be like, I know her. Um, So you're doing awesome work, but I'm excited to talk about like, so what, what is interesting to me is I know you deal with very severe situations typically is my guess, right? Or Well, actually, you know, um, certainly in my prior job, that was our thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am not afraid of taking care of people with serious illness for sure. But I see people from all, you know, of all degrees of eating disorders at this point, it's not, you know, it used to be sort of the sickest of the sick. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, I see people who just got diagnosed with an eating disorder and their parents are like, oh my gosh, there's some stuff going on and it's medical and it's getting in the way and what do we do? Um, All the way through people who've been sick, you know, their whole lives and don't want to go back to treatment and want to find a pathway to survival, but but maybe need to find something a little bit more individualized. So I actually see the full gamut. And I will, that reminds me, I know you have a book called Sick Enough, which here I am being like, oh, who has to be sick enough? And I think that's something good to remind people that, that you don't have to wait until you're in this critical position to seek help or to learn more about how you can help people or help people in your family. Um, and I guess I'm just curious about how we can help our kids and in, in our parenting to try to sort of drown out some of these messages. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about this Kerbo thing. This is the app created by Weight Watchers. And I know you had a petition that you helped create um, healthcare providers against, what is it, against Kerbo. And, um, And I just, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why things like this, basically it's an app that, that, teaches kids some Weight Watcher strategies, like when to stop eating, what are kind of good foods, what are bad foods, how much exercise am I sort of yeah, putting it in a nutshell? I mean, I think it's a great jumping off place. In order to talk about how parents might help their kids, we can start with what not to do. Mm-hmm. And the Kerbo app is what not to do. So the Kerbo app was developed by WW, the rebranded Weight Watchers, mm. um, as a an app for eight to 18 year olds to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this country who would say, okay, now, Dr. G, we know that you're anti-diet culture. We know that you are a weight inclusive, body positive provider, but doesn't this country have a problem with some of the medical complications that go along with higher body weight? Uh, Why is this app a problem? Why shouldn't we be addressing this at young ages to prevent future problems? Well, the answer is that dieting never works. It doesn't work for adults and it doesn't work for children. It is 
almost universally harmful. And what the Kerbo app does is um, assign a moral value, red, yellow, or green, to various different foods where milk is a yellow, of all things. And it encourages children to monitor the steps of their exercise and to monitor what they're eating. And it gives them little bits of coaching. I certainly am a believer in healthcare for as many as can possibly access it. And Kerbo offers a paid extra option with quote unquote coaches who've done like a few hours of training. I just was looking at their coaches and it's like, their background is economics. Like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why right. this person? Exactly. Why am I listening to you? Yeah. And then, you know, they also have pictures of before and after children who have so-called lost weight and, you know, now I'm successful and happy and all of this stuff. Um, and so one of my colleagues in the eating disorder field pretend tried to register her 16-year-old daughter who happens to be quite tall and lean. If anything, they're always trying to get her to eat more to stay well and, and keep you know, going through puberty and becoming an adult. Um, and she said, let's just see what happens. So she pretended as if she were her daughter. She put in her daughter's name, date of birth, height, weight, and you know, clicked whatever box that said, I want to lose weight. No problem. No parent no checking, no like, hey, whoa, why would somebody who has these specs want to lose weight? Nope. Straight into the app. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a problem. But the biggest problem of all, Megan, is that dieting doesn't work. Shaming people about their bodies doesn't work. There is um, a really misguided group think in this country, which emerges from constructs of privilege and power, because in this country, thinner people have more power. Um, and, and so there's this belief that if you just do dot, 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 your body will automatically become thin privileged and you'll be able to be your prettiest self, your happiest self, your most athletically successful self. This is all nonsense. Mm -hmm. This is not scientifically true. And furthermore, dieting slows our metabolism. And as we talked about in our first episode together, it lights up that part of our brain that developed during our evolution that saves us from malnutrition your brain doesn't know that you're quote unquote, just trying to take off five pounds. It goes, Whoa, we must be in a low resource time. Get that body going. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we slow the metabolism, slow the digestion, save body weight. And when we get back to food, let's make sure we put on a little extra so that we're safe the next time we go into one of these famines. Mm -hmm. So like that is how we are biologically built. Therefore, 
the old medical advice, because frankly, this comes from doctors as much as it comes from And it's from not everybody. even old. I just got this advice for, it's not old. I mean, I'll oh. tell you that story. Finish what you're saying. But oh. I, I felt empowered by what you had taught me to stand up for myself and my kids because it was, well, I'll just tell you, it was it, somebody not naming names with puberty. And I said, but he's going through puberty. Like, aren't you supposed to gain like kind of a lot of weight? Cause this is what your body does. And the woman was very dismissive of me. And I ended up talking to another person in the practice later, but I felt empowered to know, like I had been taught that, yeah, that's part. And I, my son's face turned bright red. And, but I had a great conversation with him on the way out to say, you need to be an educated consumer. You know, like you have to always, just because someone is a doctor or has this power position doesn't mean they're always right. And it's hard because, you know, with kids, you teach them, you want them to respect authority. You don't want them to be always like, well, you don't know anything, you know, you don't want them going around like that all the time. But when you have the research and you have people who are helping you understand better, and the, when I went back, the woman, the, the main um, doctor was saying that there was a big push with the American Academy of Pediatrics to push down the obesity rates in our country. And it's just, it's almost like we don't have the tools. How? Okay, that's fine that we don't want obese people, but like, how do we do that? And shaming a child who's going through puberty seems like a real bad idea. You know, well, it is, not only is it unkind and immoral and unscientific, but it turns out to be likely to cause the exact opposite of what the pediatrician wants. So, so the real science and the real data show this, that when kids are made to feel bad about their appearance, um, and it doesn't even take a doctor. I mean, they walk on into a, a classroom and, and they feel their classmates sort of watch. They know what you know, they know what they see on TV. They know what is being talked about on the playground. Kids know when they don't happen to occupy a body or, you know, a, a facial features or whatever it is that sort of hues to what's supposed to be ideal in this country and what has power, what has privilege. Um, when children are shamed about their bodies, when they're made to feel like they should restrict certain foods that thing clicks in their brain and they become more likely to secretly eat, to crave forbidden foods, to eat too much of the foods that have been, you know, they've been told not to. Mm -hmm. And ultimately those children have a higher risk of developing eating disorders. So, you know, let's just take a mom whose kid is going through puberty and, you know, shockingly enough, not everybody's child goes through puberty like somebody that you see on Nickelodeon who sort of seems always to look perfect no matter what age they are and ta-da, they're an adult. Yeah, no one does that except for the 0.1%. So you're a mom of a kid whose body is going through stuff and a lot of the time adolescents go through a time where they are thicker and that may mean that they're meant to be thicker people. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. That's Mm -hmm. great. Um, I recently did a piece in Teen Vogue on, or I contributed to a piece in Teen Vogue on the the quote unquote baby fat, Mm -hmm. which basically just stigmatizes the weight kids carry and implies, well, as long as you get rid of that by the time you're an adult, it'll be okay. It's cute now. It won't be cute later. We, we have to really avoid that. So, so let's say you're a mom and you're like, well, what the heck do I do, Dr. G? Because like, I just want my kid to be well. 
I want them to have a healthy relationship with their body and with food. I want them to be able to, you know, date and just not have body stigma. Well, the first thing we can do to safety that is to not have body stigma in our homes. So it is talking kindly about your own body and your partner's body and your children's bodies. And it's about talking kindly about food. There's a great article right now. Um, this is almost, when people listen to this later, it's almost Halloween right now. Great article in the New York Times right now about Halloween candy that a few of my friends contributed to. And, you know, it basically says, enjoy the magic and boisterousness of Halloween. Don't limit what they have for candy on Halloween or the next day. They'll sort of slow it down. You know, maybe by day three, you're like, great, you know, have a piece at lunch and a piece at dinner. And if you don't get all fussy about it, they're going to lose interest. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens in a healthy perspective. Only when things are restricted and, you know, focused on the kids sort of routinely overindulge in this stuff. Um, so the first thing is healthy homes, low weight stigma, low self stigma, kind body conversations. I'll share a story from my own parenting. My older daughter is almost 14 now. And maybe six months ago or so, we were in my bathroom together and we were just getting ready or we were, you know, doing hair. I can't remember. And um, she looks in the mirror from her body to mine and she goes, look how much I look like you. Or look how much my body looks like yours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, we're built really similarly. And it was a comment that she made that was completely devoid of fear or loathing or, or worry. And I just thought in that moment, thank you for putting me into this professional field Mm -hmm. because otherwise, you know, like so many of my women friends, I would have gone around casually making negative comments about my body. Mm -hmm. Oh, this and that, I don't love that. And that doesn't look that great. And, and then my daughter who is perfect and who has a body similar to mine would have thought, oh, there's a time capsule. Apparently this body is going to turn into something that's loathe worthy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not acceptable. It's very interesting um, being around And I know you mentioned, I try to be really aware of this, um, but then sometimes you're around groups of people like friends. And like you said, you know, your own friends or your kids' friends, what do you do when you're in those circumstances and you feel like, you don't, I mean, I'm guessing you don't want to be like the police on this, but how do you have a technique to help like shift the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think it helps that, um, the people that I, when I hang out with people, they, for the most part, <laughs> know how outspoken I am about yes. And what I do. Right. Um, And so I'm actually pretty shameless now. I never want to shame someone because Mm -hmm. they're just doing what people do to get along in society, unfortunately. But if someone says something, especially if my kids are listening, Mm. I feel like I have to say, oh, no, no, we're not going to have that conversation because you're gorgeous and perfect. And I love you. And your body's great. Yeah. You know, and just like, or, no, no, we're not going to do that. You're, you're wonderful. And also little ears are listening. Right. So, nope. Your body's great. We don't yes. have that. You know, just, I think, 
it actually gives people permission to stop the reflexive negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, particularly as women, but men do it too, increasingly, you know, we're just shitty to ourselves. Yeah. We're mean. Um, and, and that has come to be a kind of way of just, I don't know, from the feminist in me says that it's about women making sure no one thinks they're too full of themselves. They may be wonderfully accomplished and hardworking and have gone through incredible challenges, but they don't want anyone to think they're too high on themselves. So Mm -hmm. they put themselves down. Yeah. Yeah. We got to really get away from that because we're raising girls who are going to be the women of the future, whom we don't want to have that negative opinion of and boys who are going to be their friends and maybe their partners whom we don't want them to have that opinion either. So, you know, creating a pollution-free space where you're like, oh no, when we're with me, we order all the delicious food in the restaurant. We don't talk about calories. We don't talk about burning off our lunch and Mm -hmm. we don't talk about the, you know, body dissatisfaction, unless it's a thoughtful, engaged, like, gosh, I'm really struggling along these lines and it's with a trusted friend. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, but so, so there's that, there's that piece of it. And, and so parents are like, so wait, we, we've got a kid and maybe, maybe you're raising a fat child, you know, like, let's say somebody's raising a fat child and, and that word fat is being increasingly reclaimed, um, for all of its positive, neutral, descriptive features. Then in that case, the parent of a fat kid has all the more responsibility to make home a super safe place for their child's body, to find clothing, which is hard, that fits and feels great, that creates a food culture in the house that is positive, balanced, emotionally engaged, you know, because their kid is going to face a lot of stigma in the world. And to be able to have conversations with a kid and say, wow, you know, it is a really unjust world. There are people of certain skin colors who don't get certain privileges. There are people of certain body sizes that have a harder time of it. Mm -hmm. You know, in our family, we really believe in knowing people for who they are. And if you get words out there about your gorgeous body, let's talk about it because there's nothing wrong with you. Honey, you're just, you're just right. Bodies come in all shapes and sizes and health comes in all shapes and sizes. So, you know, let's just enjoy this blessing of a body that you have. And we're going to go have fun in it and go outside and play. And we're going to eat good food in our family. And we're going to enjoy, you know, celebration foods. Those are the things that parents can do. It's not shaming your kid. It's not, God forbid, giving them incentives to lose weight, which, you know, is an unfortunately not uncommon thing. It's not preferentially giving the sibling the ice cream and giving your fat kid the fruit for dessert. Um, and, and it's just preparing them for a world in which just like if your kid had, uh, you know, any kind of disability where you prepare them for a world in which the world may not be as kind. Mm-hmm. And so are you saying that when there's a child who is a heavier or fat child, that that's just how it's going to be? Or what What are the factors that go into that? So say you have a child that is a bigger person, and that's something that worries you as a parent, you know, like you don't want them to face that difficulty. Yep. Um, 
what, what do you advise? Like, because I think a lot of parents put that back on themselves. Well, I must be doing something wrong if this is not working out the same way it is for all these other people. Completely. Interestingly, the root of that guilt is in an individualistic perspective on weight that this country takes mistakenly. It's sort of every man for themselves. It's what you eat and how you move. That's all that influences your weight. The reality is we're all embedded in systems in our, in our lives. So if a child has, you know, we start with genetics. If you come from a family or your partner comes from a family of big people, there is a reasonable chance that your kid's going to be a bigger kid. Mm -hmm. Then you can add in, you know, things that various families experience. Maybe there was an early trauma in the family. Maybe there's, uh, maybe grandma made body comments early on that really stuck in your child's soul. And as a result, they started thinking they should eat differently, but just the thought of not eating sugar made them crave sugar. And so they went through mm. kind of bingy phase in their lives and their weight increased further. It's really important to say, we don't need an explanation for fatness necessarily, or for just body diversity. What we can do is say, I want to make sure that my kid knows how to move for joy. That's within ability and access to spaces to move and interest. I want to be sure that my kid has a healthy relationship with food and with his emotions, because the more we can allow the entire spectrum of emotions, you feel sad, you feel angry, you feel overwhelmed, you feel frustrated, you feel lonely. Great. Let's talk about it rather than let me numb with food or for some people with caloric restriction. Um, and I think what we have to understand is if you're allowing for emotional space and to the extent that you have the financial means to do so, you're providing reasonable food and good portions and a reasonably balanced, you know, set of meals most of the time, and your kid has the chance to get some movement, that's the body they've got. Mm -hmm. They may not thin out. Okay. You know, just like... Uh, very few people become supermodels uh, because they're just sort of genetically speaking, that's just not in the cards. There are a lot of kids for whom it's just not going to be in the cards for them to occupy thin privilege. And then it's that, it's that work on like, let's just make sure that you always feel like you're allowed to move in that body. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're allowed to be on the soccer team. Yeah. You're allowed to go do that other sport or maybe we say, Let's find sports or activities you love to do where you're going to get a little less attention for the difference in your body size, mm -hmm. um, but that makes you feel like, yeah, it's fun to move because we know that movement has long-term positives in terms of cardiovascular benefit and independence and strength and, and things like that. In fact, what we know from the data are that independent of BMI, being cardiovascularly fit is the best predictor of mortality. Hmm. So a big veteran study was performed on over 30,000 veterans, and it showed that it was actually the men who were in the quote-unquote obese BMI range 
who were the most cardiovascularly fit, who lived the longest. So super interesting stuff. It is interesting. I just wonder how can we change the tools that are being used? Because that's what's frustrating to me. I mean, I was on my pulpit here talking about, because they're weighing everybody with this scale. I'm like, it tells you nothing. Do you see how muscular my child is? My child is, I mean, you know my family. You know, my my child is kind of a beast, not a beast, <laughs> just, but, but he's, he's not in the best ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, he's, he's a really strong kid. And so I'm like, you put him on the scale, you don't know what you're weighing, no. you know? And so it's just amazing to me that we're at this point where we can like order food and have it like dropped to our home, but yet the resources aren't there to, to measure health in a better way. Like, what is the deal? How can it's we change this? It's such a fantastic question. And I think it's what you're doing with this podcast. It's what I'm doing in my work. Mm -hmm. It's what those of us on the front lines are trying to do to change the dialogue, um, to to stop the school weighings, to stop the idea that we can know from someone's appearance or from their weight, whether they're healthy or not. You know, the odds diminish that they're very, very, you know, sort of quintessentially healthy at the extremes of weight. But the fact is that you can't tell when you put your muscular kid who's going through puberty, who's going to have some extra, you know, weight on him. You, the idea that that just demarks how his health is, is absurd. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, feeling shame in that moment teaches him to feel shame at the doctor mm-hmm. and be less likely to go check in with doctors regularly as he gets older. And it makes him feel shame about his body as if he's not getting a thousand messages a day that it's the thin and in, in, in the, often in the boy's case, it's the ripped defined muscular ones who get all the goodies. I mean, this is like a, a great example of this for our teenagers is, um, Shows with teenagers and movies with teenagers are cast with 24-year-olds as Mm 17-year-olds. I don't know if anybody's looked lately, but 24-year-old guys look really different from 17-year-old guys. So, you know, when, when we look at these images, we think, oh, is that what I'm supposed to look like? Is that what I'm supposed to be attracted to? Huh, when I look around at my age mates, that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what's happening here. And that's yeah. the same for the girls <laughs> as right. well, you know. And so there are so many opportunities where our kids are getting the message that there's only one way to look. There's only one way to be healthy. When the reality is that humans are the largest mammal that can eat almost anything and thrive giraffes can only eat acacia shoots and leaves. Mm. Humpback whales can only eat plankton. But humans across the globe, oh my gosh, we can eat virtually anything and create post-weaned one-year-olds into adults. We're like the absolute off-roading champs of the nutritional world on this planet. We're built for this. So this, the, the various constructs of quote-unquote healthy eating are really dangerous and dumb mm-hmm. because everyone's version of healthy eating is assigned by arbitrary rules and very, very little science. Right now, healthy eating is low-carb. Back in the 80s, healthy eating was low-fat, low-eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, I know. 
it just makes you wonder what, I mean, we're going to end up putting it into such a tunnel that we're going to be eating like the giraffes. Like we only are allowed to eat this, you know, because it's like, you start to look and you're like, what am I supposed to feed if you can't do this and you can't do that? And I, I, it is interesting to me because I feel like even as an adult and I consider myself, I mean, I try to stay on top of this stuff, but it's very hard to avoid those messages of like carbs and, oh, are you making sure you're getting enough protein? And like you said, I try to remind myself, like we are very hardy, resilient people, yeah. you know, we don't need to worry so much. Um, and it's, it's, it's a tricky game because I do think like you were saying, there's so much information coming towards us that doesn't help us feel calm about it. Yeah. If anything, it's like constant information to make us feel anxiety. That's correct. And I mean, that is a perfect marketing strategy. Mm. Making people anxious, making sure that what's on the line is no less than whether your child will be accepted, loved, and successful is the perfect way to sell us products. Mm. We've got to be really media savvy about why we're being sold this anxiety because it's not based in science. You know, people ate bread every morning for a zillion billion years in a bunch of different countries and turned out just fine. But now, oh my gosh, you know, if you haven't gotten your kid protein in the morning with their breakfast, Mm -hmm. they might not be able to dot, dot, dot. So that makes us really vulnerable. And the more we can challenge that and kind of unplug from the matrix and be like, now, wait a second, Mm -hmm. this is some bullshit. (laughs) Yes. I know how to feed my children and the way I feed my children is going to be congruent with my family's values, cultural background, you know, relationship with food. And I'm going to do that because I'm raising my child. Mm-hmm. You can raise your child. I'm going to raise my child. Um, so I think the key is that when it comes to body image and raising healthy teens, the less neurotic we can make them, the more comfortable in their own skin, the more respectful of body diversity, the more understanding that virtually all food will get the job done. And yep, great fresh fruits and vegetables are awesome to add in at almost all times. The more they can understand that their emotions can be spoken, the more they understand that dieting is a guaranteed highway to weight gain, not because there's something wrong with weight gain if it happens naturally in someone who's in a bigger body, but we know that diet, uh, dieting and weight cycling are super bad for health outcomes. They worsen all sorts of cardiovascular outcomes, people who are up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things that we can bring to our kids. These are the things that are going to make them less fragile and less vulnerable when they do hear their peer group go through some weird phase with food and they're like, yo, whatever y'all are doing, I am not going to participate because I know from my parents that this doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. These are the protective things we can do. Right. And I do, I mean, I love that there's more messages out there like that because I think when I was young, there was nothing of that kind. I mean, it was like, I mean, the book, even the books, I mean, I had books like, 
Sweet Valley High and like those, that kind of genre that was always talking about like, you know, if you lose weight and if you do this, I mean, just the messaging. And I think that at least we're more aware now, although maybe not as much as we might like, but we're sort of hopefully on a improving trajectory. Um, Wait, so I'm curious, what would you say to Oprah if she was listening? Oprah being the, the owner of Weight Watchers. I know. I mean, so, I love me some Oprah. What's going on, Oprah? Know. Why, Oprah? Why? He's, she's so brilliant and extraordinary. And, yeah. and I love her. And her messages in so many arenas are incredible. And in this one, she has made a financial investment. It's very wise financial investment. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep coming back to dieting. But it's... um. It's very. It's a great sadness for those of us in this field to see her put the power that she bears behind the diet industry. Yeah, because it's you know they're trying to rebrand it as no, it's wellness. Mm. It's wellness. We're going for health, and you're like my ass. You're trying to make people lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and unfortunately, what we know for sure is that that has created a fatter society. Dieting and the entire diet industry have without a question created a fatter society because that is how we are biologically programmed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think coming back to the parent of the larger kid who says, but I don't want my kid to be a fat adult. Um, Tough cookies, Mm -hmm. potentially. Mm -hmm. Like, I like what you said about, about thinking about it, not that being fat is a disability, but like, you wouldn't say that like, well, I want my child to not have to use a wheelchair. Well, your child has a wheelchair. Like, let's make this life the best that it can be. Or I don't want my child to have a big nose or what, whatever it is, you know, it's like, so you're going to get your child to know, like, what, what are you doing? Right. Um, Well, I mean, even in that model you just gave, like, it's a perfect model. So let's say that your kid has an unusually huge nose. And you know that they're going to get teased about it. And, you know, there's, there's the, the kid is kind of distressed about it. The metaphor is a little bit silly, but currently whatever society recommends for big noses only makes them bigger. <laughs> so instead of doing what society is currently recommending, work with your kid on being like, you know what? Big nosed people have done amazing things in this world. Mm-hmm. And you may have a big nose and that is part of who you are. We all have parts of us that don't fit in with the going narrative about what's mm-hmm. perfect. But I love your big nose mm-hmm. and your big nose is part of who you are. Let's accept your big nose and let's make sure that you learn all the things to say to the people out there who are going to comment on your big nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, no, I, so, I just think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting shift in mentality because I think what a lot of parents would say is I, well, I love my child. That's why I'm so sort of, sort of hyped up about this. But what you're saying is like, okay, good. You love your child. That's a good starting point, but try to think about it this other way, you know? And, great. And, yeah. Because there it's, um, parents are led to believe that if they can do things differently. Now, if your child is, is, you know, only eating candy all day long and there's no sort of there's no structure in the house. There's no family meals. There's, you know, and, and there's tremendous sociological implications to this because there's so many families in poverty who don't have the opportunity because they live in food deserts to acquire fresh foods because they live, they work three jobs and their shifts are not within their control and they don't have this opportunity. I mean, so we have to recognize what's out there. 
But I think that for the parent who does have, you know, reasonable resources, you can't change who your kid is fundamentally. You can make sure that they have as good a relationship with food as possible and a happy, joyful relationship with movement. It has nothing to do with altering the body's appearance. And then it's about teaching your kid self-acceptance and compassion and kindness and confidence. Yeah. And what's interesting when it comes to this, and I think when it comes to other things related to parenting is I think you got to deal with your own shit first. Like you can't be a good role model or a good person. And I think that's, what's so interesting is that people bring in their kids. Like I got this kid problem when really it's a part of the bigger family. And if you can get your own stuff figured out, well, where did you get these messages? You know, because you got them from somewhere too and process through. And I just think that that's a piece we're missing, you know, is that I think people think, well, I'm a grown adult. Well, grown adults have a lot of messed up ideas, myself included. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a place where you do have control is to learn more about your own background and why you think the way you think. That's so smart. That's such a smart point that I hope really deeply sinks into your listeners. Cause where you find yourself bumping up against undue anxiety about your child's body, take a parent time out mm-hmm. and be like, Whoa, is it because my dad was such a jerk to me about my body? Is it because my mom was always on a diet and always making me diet? And I wanted nothing more than to raise a kid who never had to think about dieting. You know, understand the underpinnings and how those were absorbed into your soul and decide you're going to break the generational chain of body issues. Mm -hmm. Because having your kid diet or feel bad about their body is not the solution. There is no perfected body because, you know, you look on social media and there's literally no individual who is above criticism. If you see, you know, the people who post about themselves, there might be 50% of comments that are like, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. And 50% are like, you're not that great. Mm -hmm. I don't like this about you. This doesn't look so great. You're too thin. You're too big. So... Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to understand that the way we've been doing it is wrong. And I think it's really powerful if families are listening to this and they say, Holy smokes, I, I really want to change this. No day like the present, mm-hmm. no day like the present to, if you have the resources, seek your own therapy, no day like the present to sit down with your kids and be like, Whoa, mm-hmm. I've learned some stuff that make me realize that our rules about no sugar in the house or no dairy or no gluten when no one has an allergy, um, they probably haven't been helpful to you guys. Mm-hmm. And I bet they've made you worried. Even just like in terms of, I know people, doctors don't typically recommend using the Google, but Googling like body positivity or like anti-diet or what else would be something that people could look into? Health, health at every, at every size. size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Health at every size. Because so, I so think great. what's cool is there's just a ton of, I've learned a lot from the Google, you know, just by reading about these different sort of activists in these different spaces. So yeah, that's exactly right. I'm just looking up a book. Yeah. There's a great book about adolescence for girls that is an alternative to the standard, nice, bland, perfectly acceptable, you know, sort of, um, American girl doll, the care and keeping of you. It's called 
the ultimate puberty book for girls, Celebrate Your Body and Its Changes too. Mm -hmm. It's by Sonia Renee Taylor, Mm -hmm. who's a wonderful activist. Oh, I'm obsessed with her. I have her book right here. Oh, I love her book. There it is. I know. I'm a big fan of her. She, she's incredible. I mean, and what's, what cracks me up, if you want to follow her on social media, she sits wherever she wants and just like does her spiel. Like she'll be sitting at lunch and she'll just pull up her phone and be like, okay, I just need to tell you guys this thing. And she just cracks me up. She's I'm a big fan. Yeah. She's incredible. And so this puberty book includes pictures and descriptions of body diverse girls, which you're like, how could that not have been done before? Mm, yes. <laughs> Why would we only have been showing pictures of thin white girls on puberty books? But mm-hmm. there you have it. And yeah. Renee Taylor does a wonderful job saying like, hey, all the things in the body, they are yours. They are unique. They are cool. And, and mainly, they're happening. Mm-hmm. Like, don't feel like you can change this. Right. You know, if you're going to get stretch marks at age 12, Girl, you're going to get stretch marks at age 12. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Right. Means you're growing and you're alive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I have one last question. This is what I've been asking people in this series on teens. Is there anything, assuming your teenage self would listen to you, is there anything you would go back and tell your teenage self? Oh, <laughs> I'd need a novel of things. Um, <laughs> Man. Mine's always Megan. You need to chill out. Like I was always like, Bruh! I know, Just jacked oh. up. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. No, yeah, my teenage self needed a lot of help. Um, I think I would have said, slow down. Being a perfectionist doesn't mean you're going to be an achiever. It just means you're going to be mean to yourself a lot. Um learn like who you are is gonna unfurl with time give yourself space to learn who that is um and go to therapy Mm. (laughs) i love it well i love hearing people's reflections because i think it's it's also helps us remember who these children are that we're dealing with that are teenagers you know that that give them some space they're just figuring it out i mean it's just and you look back at how, what the expectations I put on myself, no wonder I didn't know. I was like 15 years old. Of course I didn't know, you know? Um, and I'm sure I'll look back at this point in my life and be like, of course I didn't know. I was only 44, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, well, thank you so much. I always love talking to you and you have just such a wealth of information and you're just doing awesome work. I thank you so much. I think you're brilliant. I think your insights are incredible and I just love talking with you. I'm so glad that people- Thank you. I know, hopefully one day in real life, but for now, this will work. Love it. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain and my discussion with Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. I just learned so much from her and I am so appreciative that she's sharing her message and her work with our community. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and you can join the Facebook community by looking up the Family Brain Podcast or we are also on Instagram, Family Brain Podcast. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.